December 20th, 2015. That was our daughter, Sophia's, due date. And that morning, Rochelle and I woke up thinking that our daughter would have been there by now. Uh, Lucas was a little bit early, but there we were, Sunday morning, and no Sophia. So we decided, I guess we'll go to church. Uh, and so we, we head, headed to church that Sunday morning. Uh, I was not preaching. I'd wisely decided not to preach on the day that my daughter was due. Um, but instead, we, we went and, and enjoyed the, the, the Christmas program that our, our, our kids put on and had a Christmas lunch together after the service. And then we went home to relax. And then around 3.30 in the afternoon, Rochelle started feeling contractions. Um, but we didn't get too concerned because with Lucas... She'd felt contractions for hours before we went to the hospital, but these contractions were pretty close together. So we thought, well, maybe we'll go just, just to be safe to the hospital. So we got to the hospital around 5 p.m., and it soon became clear that Sophia's birth was going to be a lot quicker than her older brother. Uh, we had just gotten settled into, into the delivery room, and we're waiting for our doctor to arrive. Our doctor was, was not around, really, and she was making her way there when all of a sudden, Rochelle's contractions got really strong, and I was in the room, myself and my wife, and I realized we need to get someone in that room quick, or I was going to be delivering our baby myself. So they all kind of rushed into the room, and the resident who was on that day said, all right, we're going to deliver a baby here. Um, and about after five minutes of pushing, Sophia Grace came into the world at 7.25 p.m. on her due date. Um, there she is on that day. Um, you know, ever since I became a father with, with Lucas when he was born, I've had a new appreciation for birth stories, the stories of how a baby is born, kind of having gone through it myself now a couple times. And the thing about birth stories is that um, every story is unique, right? There are, there are different kind of intricacies and, and different ways of how that story happens. But the other interesting thing about birth stories is that the baby doesn't really play an active role in the story, right? Um, it wasn't like Sophia decided that I'm going to be born on my due date. And, and so she caused her birth to happen on that day. Uh, she didn't will herself to come quicker than her brother. Uh, she was just hanging out in the womb, and then she was born, right? Birth happens to a baby. When we turn to this morning's text, we're going to see that Jesus has a conversation where he talks about birth and uses birth as an illustration, as an image, to talk about our spiritual lives and applies it to the spiritual realm. He talks about being born again, or being born of the Spirit. And we'll see in our text that, that this is something also that happens to us, something that, that, that God does in us. Um, this summer, we are going through a sermon series called Encounters with Jesus in the Gospel of John. And we're looking at different encounters that Jesus has with different individuals that are recorded in John's gospel. A couple weeks ago, we looked at Jesus encountering Philip and Nicodemus and, and, and what he did there with, with them. And so today we're going to be looking at an encounter that Jesus has with a man named Nicodemus. And uh, my sermon title today is Reborn. 
which, as we see, is going to be the, the focus of this encounter that Jesus has with Nicodemus, this idea of being reborn and what that, what that means. So our text is John chapter 3, and we'll be reading verses 1 through 15. Um, so you can follow along on, the, on the, the passage on the screen here. John chapter 3, beginning with verse 1. Now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. Jesus replied, Very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. How can someone be born when they are old? Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, Very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, You must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. How can this be? Nicodemus asked. You are Israel's teacher, said Jesus. And do you not understand these things? Very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know and we testify to what we have seen But still, you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things, and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life. In him. Let's pray. Father, we invite you to speak to us through your word, Lord, your word that we have just heard proclaimed. And, and as we uh, look into it together, Lord, we trust that your spirit he is here. Your spirit will, will teach us, Lord, of what you, what you were talking about when you talked about being born again, being reborn. And so we pray that you would birth that new life within us even today through your word and through this message. And so uh, give us ears to hear you, Lord. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. We're introduced to this man, Nicodemus, in verse 1 of our text, uh, which says, Now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. Uh, Nicodemus was a Pharisee, and the Pharisees were a, a sect in Judaism at the time who prided themselves on keeping the law being fastidious about their, their exercise of the law. And we hear in this text that, that not only was Nicodemus a member of this group of Pharisees, but he was a leader. He was a member of the Jewish ruling council uh, called the Sanhedrin. Later in, in verse 10, Jesus says to Nicodemus, you are Israel's teacher. So Nicodemus, he was a man of stature, of, of importance. Um, he was revered, respected in, in that society. And so as he comes to Jesus, Jesus is this other rabbi, um, this teacher. He comes kind of from a perspective of of evaluating Jesus. You know, he's kind of one of these leaders of the Jewish establishment, and he comes to this rabbi Jesus. And and in verse 2, he says to him, 
Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. Nicodemus and, and some others, he says, we um, know that, that you are a teacher. Um, they've obviously been observing Jesus, and they had come to this conclusion that there was something about him that he had some sort of connection with God because he had been performing these amazing signs. And so he, they know that there's, there's something about Jesus, and Nicodemus is curious, and it's interesting that he comes at night, um, maybe not wanting everybody to know that he is approaching this, this new rabbi Jesus, but, but you can tell that he's kind of going into this conversation with Jesus primarily from a position of sort of wanting to learn more about who he is. Um, he's going to learn about this mysterious rabbi so he can continue to evaluate him and decide, you know, who, who is this Jesus exactly? But Jesus has something completely different in mind in this conversation. As is often the case when we encounter Jesus, when he encounters us, he takes control of the conversation and he ends up examining Nicodemus. Nicodemus is not going to be evaluating Jesus. Jesus is going to dig into Nicodemus' heart here. And as we look at this encounter between the two of them, we're going to see that, that Jesus is actually encountering us. He's examining us through this text today. Um, and so the first thing that, that Jesus does as he kind of turns the table a little bit on Nicodemus is he confronts him and us with the fact that we all need to be reborn. We all need to be reborn. Um, this, that's Jesus' initial response to Nicodemus in verse 3. You know, Nicodemus kind of comes to him and says, You are a teacher. We know you're from God. And Jesus kind of just says, Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. Right? Kind of seems like, where did that come from? But Jesus, he's not interested in being evaluated by Nicodemus and talking about the signs he's been doing or debating whether or not God is with him. He kind of basically indirectly says to Nicodemus, you know what, Nicodemus, let's talk about you. No one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. And guess what? That applies to you too. Now that was a, a surprising claim for Jesus to make because uh, Jewish people at that time, they had a conception of the kingdom of God as first of all, something that would come at the end of the age when, when the Messiah would come and it would kind of usher in the, the end of the age, the kingdom of God would come. And their understanding was that basically all Jews would be admitted to that kingdom, except for those who maybe were extremely wicked or who had rejected God, who were apostate. So for Jews like Nicodemus, from his understanding, it was simply enough to be born as a Jew and be devoted to God, and then you would see the kingdom of God. There was no need to be born again. If you're just born into this, you're, you're, you're set. And so you can kind of see the, the, the confusion that Nicodemus has when, when he responds to Jesus in verse 4. Is how can someone be born when they are old? Nicodemus asks. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Nicodemus, is, he's so perplexed by the idea that, that something else would be required to enter the kingdom of God, that, that he just kind of misinterprets Jesus' statement completely and, and, and talks as if, as if Jesus is saying he needs to be physically born a second time, which just seems completely ridiculous to him. 
And so Jesus then, in the next verses, verses 5 through 6, he clarifies. He's talking about a spiritual rebirth when he says, Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. That's what he's talking about by this born again idea. He says, flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. But that explanation doesn't do much for Nicodemus. He's still confused. Um, after this clarification, later on verse 9, Nicodemus just says, how can this be? He's just, he's so confused by this idea of being spiritually reborn. And you can imagine that a big part of why Nicodemus is so confused, why he doesn't understand what Jesus is talking about, is that he can't understand how someone like him would need a spiritual rebirth. I mean, he's a Jew, he's a Pharisee, he's a member of the Jewish ruling council, he is Israel's teacher. Why would he need to be spiritually reborn? Nicodemus' response is actually a pretty common one in our world today. Can you imagine the response of most people if you went up to them and said, you need to be spiritually reborn? Take someone on the street, right, and just ask them that, tell them that. Many people in our world just view things through a completely secular lens. And so where there's basically no spiritual reality at all. So the concept of rebirth wouldn't make any sense to them. They would probably respond kind of like Nicodemus did initially, right? How can someone be born a second time? What are you talking about? That doesn't make any sense, right? There is no spiritual reality here. Other people in our world do believe in a spiritual realm. Um, most Americans believe that there is a God and there is an afterlife, believe in, in the existence of heaven. But for most of those people, they think they're doing just fine, like Nicodemus did. Um, this, this week, I, I watched some YouTube videos um, of, of different people going around and, and asking people the question, how do you get to heaven? How does someone get to heaven? And it was really interesting hearing all the responses of just random people on the street um, most people said something along the lines of, well, if you're a good person, if you pe treat people with respect, then you'll go to heaven. And the reality is most people think they are good. They're, they're generally good, and, and so therefore they will end up in heaven. Other people in the videos reference religious reasons. Well, you'll go to heaven if you go to church, if you pray, if you're a good Catholic, or you're a good Lutheran. And so for many people in our world, they think they're doing just fine spiritually. Maybe they could improve here or there. You know, maybe they could tweak that. I could, do, I could do a little bit better maybe. But this idea that Jesus talks about of being reborn, of, of, a, of a complete transformation, that just seems a little bit over the top. Maybe, maybe someone's here, maybe you're here today, and, and you can kind of relate to that perspective, this idea being born again just seems kind of, really? We really need that? But then Jesus' words ring out, very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born again. Unless they are reborn. Why is that? Why do we need to be reborn? Well, in Paul's letter to the Ephesians, he says, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. 
We all start off spiritually dead. We start off, we are born as sinners. That's where we start. And so we need a a, a life, a, a complete rebirth. A dead person, right? My my sweet little daughter, Sophia, who I love and who is so sweet and, and, and precious. Um, at the same time, more and more recently, she has become very insistent on what she wants. And particularly at the dinner table, if you don't give her what she wants, or if you can't quite understand what it is that she wants, what she's pointing to, all hell breaks loose. I mean, uh, maybe that's a little bit of an exaggeration. But she will start screaming and pointing insistently and basically demanding, you must bow to my will. You must give me what I want. Now, we may not scream like a one-and-a-half-year-old very often, but, but how many times do we get angry and frustrated when things don't go our way, when we don't get the thing that we really want? How often do we turn to God and say, why are you letting this happen to me, God? And we demand that God give us an easier life, a better job, more money, more success, less suffering, fill in the blank. That tendency that we see in a one and a half year old and that we can probably relate to in ourselves, that is the root of sin. Putting ourselves in the place of God coming to God and evaluating him, judging him. Kind of like Nicodemus coming, saying, who who are you really, Jesus? Putting ourselves in that place where we are judging God, where we are telling him what to do, that is rebellion. And it deserves death. Paul says that we are dead spiritually. And our only hope is to be given new life, to be reborn. So how does that happen? Well, the next thing that Jesus says to Nicodemus and to us is that we are reborn by the Holy Spirit. Like I mentioned in in my opening story about Sophia's birth, a baby can't accomplish their own birth through any action or will on their part. Birth happens to a baby. And the same is true when it comes to our spiritual rebirth. We can't cause ourselves to be spiritually reborn. We are spiritually dead. We can't give life to ourselves. Spiritual rebirth comes from outside of us. And in this passage, Jesus says that it comes from the Holy Spirit. Again, in verses 5 and 6, Jesus says, Very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. The rebirth that we need, that all of us need, it's accomplished by the Holy Spirit. The Apostle Paul talks about this this same rebirth in the scripture reading that Andre read earlier from Titus 3, where we read, He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is able to take spiritually dead sinners rebels, people who insist on our own way, and he can transform us and give new life to our dead lives. 
He can wash us clean and make us alive again. That is what God is able to do. And he is only able to do that. The call to worship that I read from Ezekiel 36, God says, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. Man, that, that is something that only God can do. That is the work of the Holy Spirit. So, if God is the only one who can do this, how does that happen for a person? How does the Holy Spirit bring about this new life in us? How does, how does he do this? How does he take a, a dead person and, and bring us back to life again? Does Jesus give us any more insight into this from this encounter with Nicodemus? Yes, he does. The final thing that, that Jesus says to Nicodemus and to us about being spiritually reborn is that we are reborn through faith in Jesus Christ. In the final two verses of our text, Jesus says, Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. When Jesus here is talking about Moses lifting up a snake in the wilderness, he's referring to an incident in the Old Testament, in the the book of Numbers, chapter 21, when the people of Israel were, were wandering in the wilderness, and as is so often the case with Israel in the wilderness, they were complaining. They were complaining against their leader, Moses. They were complaining against God, asking, why did you take us, take us out here? We, should have, you know, we would have had things better back in Egypt. And, and guess what? It's just like we complain against God, right? It's just like us saying, God, why am I not getting this? Why is this not happening for me, right? We were just like Israel, complaining like we were talking about earlier. And so what does God do? He sends venomous snakes among the people as a punishment for their rebellion. And those who were bit by the snakes died. Just like our rebellion against God leads to spiritual death. And so the people come to Moses and and they admit their sin. They admit, we've done wrong here. And they plead for God to take away the snakes. And what does God do? God says to Moses, here's what I want you to do, Moses. Make a bronze snake, put it on a pole, and anyone who gets bit by these snakes can look at that, and if you just look at it, you'll live. And so Moses lifted up this bronze snake, and anyone who was bit, who was on their way to death, if they looked at the snake... They lived. And so Jesus says that that just as Moses lifted up that snake to give life to the people who had been poisoned, he says, so the Son of Man, talking about himself, was going to be lifted up so that everybody who looks at him would live. As he puts it in verse 15, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. All of us, have rebelled against God. We have poisonous snake venom running through our veins. We are as good as dead. We are spiritually dead. We are dead in our sins. We we desperately need to be washed clean and reborn. And just as God provided a way for the people of Israel to be saved, he has provided a way for us to be saved. 
in the very next verse, which I didn't read, but is probably the most famous, maybe familiar verse in the Bible. John 3, 16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. God loves the world. He loves us snake-poisoned rebels. And he loved us enough to give his one and only son, Jesus Christ, who was lifted up on the cross to die in our place. He was punished for our rebellion. He absorbed the dirt of our sins so that we can be washed clean. He embraced death so that we can be reborn. Because Jesus was willing to be lifted up on the cross for us, and only because Jesus was willing to do that, is it now that the Holy Spirit can apply that new life to us. Now we can be reborn into eternal life, into the kingdom of God, because Jesus has opened that way to us. Jesus opened the way through the cross, and the Holy Spirit is the one who brings us there. And, and the way he brings us there is through faith in Jesus, as we believe in him, which itself is a gift from God yes. that he births within us. So have you been reborn? Do you have a rebirth story? Like a birth story? Just like that physical birth story, each one of us who have been spiritually reborn will have a unique story of how God did that for us. But just like a baby's birth story isn't about what they did to be reborn, our rebirth story won't be about what we did or even focused on our faith. It will be about what God did, how Jesus gave his life for us, how the Holy Spirit led us to believe in him, how the Spirit washed us clean, gave us a new heart, raised us from the dead, and made us reborn. It's his work from beginning to the end. It is finished. And he wants to do that for us. He loves to bring us back to life, us sinners, to give us new life and make us reborn. Maybe you're here today and you can identify with Nicodemus. Maybe you're confused by all this talk about being reborn and and maybe, like those people on the street, you, you think, you're doing just fine. You don't need all this new birth stuff. You're maybe more interested, maybe you're here today because you're more interested in examining and evaluating Jesus about what to believe about him. Could it be that, although maybe that's the reason you came here today, that you're actually here because Jesus wants to encounter you and examine you like he did with Nicodemus? That he wants you to know that you do need to be reborn. And he wants to wash you clean. To give you a new heart. To give you his new birth. Maybe as you've been sitting here today, you find yourself believing that Jesus died for you. And you actually want to be reborn. And if that's you, then guess what? Today is your spiritual birthday. Because the Holy Spirit has done his work of leading you to faith. And he will do the work of applying that cleansing new birth to you as well. So that's you. If, if you, even today, find yourself wanting this and, and sensing that faith is being birthed within you, 
then come and talk to me after the service because I would love to rejoice with you and pray with you um, and thank God for his, his new birth in your life. For many of us, we have been reborn. We've been washed and given new life by the Holy Spirit. But even for us, we need to hear this good news over and over again because it is so easy to lose sight of it. Because in subtle ways, we can start to trust in our good works, our religiosity, what we've done for God, rather than what God has done for us. And we can even start to focus on the strength of our faith rather than the strength of our Savior. Even though we have been reborn by the Spirit, we still have our sinful nature, which is always wanting to lift ourselves up and focus our attention on on us rather than on Christ. And so we all need to be reminded again and again that we all need to be reborn and that we are reborn only by the grace of God and by the power of the Holy Spirit. And the only reason we can be reborn is because Jesus has accomplished everything for us. And the good news is that even when we lose sight of that, even when we give in to our sinful nature and when we start living according to the flesh instead of the Spirit, we are invited to once again Look to Jesus, who reminds us that it is finished, that we are cleansed, we are reborn, and we have eternal life in him. Let's pray and thank him for that. Lord, we confess that that we are sinful and unclean, and that by ourselves we are dead. And we see that, Lord, in our own hearts when we really look. We see all the ways that we, we want to rule ourselves. We rebel against you and we, we argue against you. And we don't, we don't worship you fully, Lord, in the way that you deserve. We don't love our neighbors as ourselves. Lord, we, we're broken and sinful. And we need you, God, to cleanse us. We need you to bring us back to life. We need you to do this work that only you can do to give us rebirth, give us new life, to give us new hearts. Remove our hearts of stone. Give us hearts that love you and that worship you, Lord. And so we thank you, God, that you are the God who wants to do this, Lord, that you are a God who has done everything necessary for this to happen, that you sent your own only son, Jesus, so that he would take all of our sin and rebellion upon himself to be lifted up in our place on the cross so that we could be cleansed, so that we could have new life. We thank you, God, that you have finished it all, Lord, and that there is nothing we have to do. There's no good works we have to accomplish. There is, there's no way we have to repay you, Lord, but we simply just rest in what you've done for us. And so come, Holy Spirit, give us that faith Birth that faith within us, Lord, again, to to trust you and to look to you and to praise you and to thank you, Lord, that you are the God who has done this for us, that you have saved us. It is your work, Lord. And we pray that as we receive this good news, too, that you would use us and empower us as your witnesses, your representatives, to proclaim this good news to the people around us, that they, too, could be brought from death to life. They too could experience the rebirth that they need desperately, Lord. Even those who may not know that they need it, Lord. 
that you would use our words, your word, to bring them back to life to bring them to yourself. And so we thank you, God, um, just for your grace to us. Um, and we pray that you would fill us with gratitude and joy to sing your praises, Lord, of all that you've done and to glorify you, Lord, for you are worthy of this praise. In Jesus' name, amen.